And now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California. Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Reel Radio, the best stop on your radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Thank you, Mark Larson and Southern California. Welcome again to another Sunday edition of Rod and Reel Radio. I am indeed your underfished host, Hopalong John Cassidy, and it is our pleasure to welcome you to tonight's show. And we've got one heck of a show lined up for you tonight. Let me give you a little idea of what's in store for you in the next 90 minutes or so. You know, we talk a lot about bass fishing and trout fishing here on Raw and Real Radio. And right, those are really some of the more spectacular types of fishing, but a lot of us grew up on different types of fishing for different species. And there's a whole population of fishermen that are out there going after those fish, whether or not it be catfish, carp, or even tonight, what we're gonna be talking about, crappie. We're gonna have a professional crappie fisherman with us. We're gonna find out if there are crappie tours in the United States, there is a professional crappie fisherman. And if so, can he make a living crappie fishing? And then hopefully we'll get some tips from him because I'm going to give you a hint. He and his dad just fished a tournament back in Missouri where they had a two-day limit of seven crappie per day that went 44.71 pounds. So... <laughs> Crappie fishery is big, and if you don't believe it, we'll talk about it later on. And in the second hour of Rod and Reel Radio, you know, over the past few years, Rod and Reel Radio has been following the progress of Hub SeaWorld and the restoration project for white sea bass. And a lot of times when we've gotten a hold of them and talked with them, the reports that they've been getting have been really kind of discouraging considering the effort both in man hours and in monies that have been spent on this project. Well, there's just a new report that's out saying, hey, the reason why some of this information was not correct and gave us the reasons and has actually come up with some data that is really a heck of a lot more encouraging on the effect that the restoration project has had. So, we're going to have Mike Shane from Hub SeaWorld with us to tell us exactly what it's all about. And then towards the end of the 6 o'clock hour, we're going to go revisit the Eastern Sierras and see how the opening went. We're going to have Amy Tomlinson on with us from Crowley Lake Fish Camp and June uh, Lake Marinas. We're going to find out exactly how opening day went. But before we do all this, let me introduce to you the co-host of Ron Real Radio. First, this gentleman is the voice of 1-800-BASS-BOAT and a darn good fresh and saltwater fisherman in his own right. 
Stan Vandenberg. Stan, good evening to you. Good evening, John. Everybody, you know, it's been a, a week of, I know the trout opener is right now, but we got a tournament. I got a tournament at Crowley coming up here in June. That uh, It's our 37th annual event. And my buddy and I picked up a, a 620 Ranger, the fisherman style, you know, the walleye boat. And thank, thankfully, you know, trying to figure out how to put the new electronics in, the, it's a 2006 boat. But you can get a hold of this place called Bass Boat Technologies. And we we're trying to figure out how to, how to mount a 12-inch Lowrance into that older style boat. And they make the stuff that you can, you can call them and get a plate and it mounts right into that plate. You don't like, take the old plate out, put a new one in. And it just screws up that, and, and makes it easy to install your electronics for, for anybody that's trying to, to upgrade a, an older boat. Bass Boat Technologies really helped me out this week. So that and trying to get the right plugs for the Lawrence unit and rewire the thing. Here we've got a project going. It's pretty fun. That sounds great. Hey, let's introduce to you our co other co-host. She is the National Sales Manager for Iserline represents many other fine products in the fishing industry. She is also an expert fisherman and hunter, and it's our own Wendy Toshahara. Wendy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. I'm recovering from getting out on the water on Friday, and it was a little bit snotty, big swells, and got a little beat up in our little tiny boat. <laughs> wow. Well, not only that, Wendy, you know, we've talked about this event several times in the past year and you're going to make another try at it you are going to be going back to texas and competing in the babes in the bay event and that's coming up here in the next couple of weeks i am and you know we uh we're looking forward to it we have an awesome guide we'll be um so our our team consists of uh uh sophie Lori, and renee and uh, we are called the SoCal Lady Tanglers. And <laughs> <laughs> wow. Captain Art gave us that name. We're all, we all fish on the searcher and the, on the ladies trip. And when we first started, he gave us the nickname, the Lady Tanglers. So we're just carrying on that name. And uh, we're going to fish the Babes on the Bay uh, tournament in Port Aransas. And uh, it's going to be a catch and release redfish tournament. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice because, you know, last two years they've had that, um, speckled trout die off because of the freeze. And yep. so they decided not to do a, a catch and kill tournament anymore. We are not fishing for speckled trout so that we can conserve them and we're doing catch and release for, for reds. So it's a, it's a pretty good event all the way around. Well, you know, folks, oh, I didn't hear you, Stan. How many anglers are involved in that thing? You know, they've had as many as 1,800. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think last year we only had like 900. But still, it's the, uh, you know, normally they get around 1,200 ladies. And it, it's the biggest ladies tournament around the world. Wow. It's got, it's got to be a lot of fun, first of all, to attract that many lady anglers and everything like that. And Stan... I, I've got a feeling that this is just a another party disguised as a fishing tournament down there. It just sounds like it's <laughs> too much fun. Absolutely. You know, 
I can, I would bet every bar in Port Angeles down there, Port Arenas rather, you know, probably has, you know, signs ladies night. <laughs> and, and all the guys down there probably hate it that there's, you know, 900 to 12 or 1500 women coming yeah. to town. Hey guys, I want to get your thoughts on this before uh, we end the first segment over here. Cause uh, we only have about eight minutes or so left. Uh, you know, Wendy, you've been a charter master on, Many, many trips here over the years. Stan, yourself, myself also, we've gone out on trips. We've gone out on all types of conditions. But I am hearing a lot more rumblings right now from some of the fishermen that are going out and experiencing this excellent fishing that we're, we're having, especially for bluefin tuna. They're going out on multi or what is supposed to be multi-day trips, and they're limiting out so quickly that then the people that are on the trip have to make the decision, do they want to go fish for something else or do they want to go home? And some of the people now that are saying, hey, if I'm, if I'm paying, let's say $900 for a two-day, a two-and-a-day, a, a half-day trip, and my trip's over in a day, uh, should I really be thinking about maybe getting some type of reimbursement or compensation for that trip running short. And Wendy, I will start with you. What are your thoughts on that? And has that ever happened to you? So yes, that's happened to me. And I know lately um, the boats have been coming in early. Um, some have um, gone rock fishing or tried to find other species. You know, to me as a charter master, um, you need to make sure everyone on the boat is in agreement. If you paid for a two-and-a-half-day trip, you're going to get a two-and-a-half-day trip. If the whole boat decides to come in early, that's on, that's on the passengers, and they should not get refunded for coming back early. If they want to stick it out and go fish for other fish, the captain and the crew will be more than happy to go get, you know, try for another species. But, you know, if you want to come back early because you got your limit, you know, you have the choice. You either only catch your two fish limit per day and wait and fish the next day for your other two two day limit, or you can catch them all at once. That's up to you. But you know, I if you're going on boat limits and everybody keeps catching, that's up to to the crew and the passengers to make that decision. You should not get reimbursed for coming back early. Right, Stan. Well, you know, we've had I've had a, a bunch of that happen where you get out there and that first stop a lot of time, you know, because the fish is so close, you're, you're fishing. If you leave the dock, you know, at six o'clock and, or, or even at eight o'clock, you know, four hours later, you're going to be in the, in the midst of it a lot of time or, or by one o'clock in the morning, they go, we're on them. Let's start going. And that flat ball bite can be on and every, every drop you're going to get bit. And yeah, you can see where the guys, and we've had it happen where you're, you know, you get, two-day limits and, and, and six drops, basically. You know, you're, you got two here and two there, and all of a sudden now your, your bluefin limit is done. We have had a situation on a five-day trip where we plugged the boat in two days and came back in, offloaded, and then went back out for the, the next couple of days and, and fished for just big fish. The options there, too, like Wendy had said, you know, you have the option if you're – you paid for the two and a half day trip or a day and a half trip, whatever that is. And 
you get your fish at night. There's the option is there's rockfish, and a lot of times right now they're going to go around and see if they can find yellowtail, whatever. Um, the only other way to go to do that is like Wendy said. You know, you can get if you have your group, my group, Wendy's group. We all know each other, a lot of us, and and you can say, what do you want to do? You want to go back early, or do you want to just spend some time and goof off and see if we can catch something else? Normally. <laughs> My group of guys go, let's just go goof around and catch something else. Um, you paid for the trip, the day's away, so you might as well just go and play. That's kind of how our guys have thought of it. We have not voted to come back early, save one time, where we had limits of everything and on a five-day and came back a, a day early. But we all voted because we we're plugged, and you know we're, we, we've got – limits of every species we could catch. So that's the only way I can see the, to make that happen. But everybody would have to, to vote yay and, and we want to go back now. Otherwise, I would say just go, you paid for the trip, stay and play. That's it. Well, you know, I think part of this has also come up, uh, Stan, that the, uh, the past couple of weekends in particular, uh, the weather has just been really, really, as Wendy said, snotty out there. And that the guys still got on their fish. The skipper still burned up that gas. Uh, people still ate the great food in the galleys. They got their limits. But then they have to make the determination, do we want to sit here and get beat up to go after rockfish or yellowtail or whatever it is? And a lot of times the decision is, hey, no, we're... We came out on a tuna trip. We've caught our fish. Time to get home. Now, transversely, and it's up to the, the skippers or the owners of the boats, and we've seen that, when a trip has been so bad that no one has caught anything, even though the people haven't expected, the, uh, the skippers and the owners have said, hey, guys, I'm going to give you credit on another trip. And that happens every once in a while. But again, it's something that's not to be expected. You know, fishing's fishing. Yep. It, they call it catching one way and fishing the other way. Um, so if you if you happen to get out there and let these guys that, are, that have been going out lately, they know that it's snotty. I mean, you get on the boat, they tell you it's going to be sloppy out there. We're going to have, you know, 30 knots of wind, whatever. But the fish are chewing. And they go out, you know, you get out there and if you get your limit and everybody doesn't want to hang out for the next day getting beat up, I can see, well, all right, let's go back in. Then it's up to, you know, whoever owns the boat to, to make that decision. That's purely up to the captain and, and the owner uh, of, of that particular vessel. So, you know, there's a the lot only, of... Very... Go ahead. The only, the only issue to me would be is if that boat got boat limits for two and a half days or three days and they were only out one day. They can't do that. They have to stay out there the three days. That's true. You know, That's legally. Exactly true. Legally, you know, but if, you know, you're on a, a six day or a five day or something, you only get three, uh, what, 30 fish. Yeah. So, so then that doesn't matter, but Great. Um, total. But it, if if uh, the boat's gonna then come in, turn around, and burn another trip, then that's a different issue. Then they're making money on coming back early. Then there, you know, there could be issues there. 
All right. Hey, I think we've made our uh, our uh, our point on this. Hey, before we take a break over here, let's just hit a couple of other items. First of all, I want to congratulate Tim Green and John Knartzer. Uh, they fished the first night tournament down here in San Diego. It was the El Cajon Four Night Tournament at San Vicente. Uh, during the night tournaments down here, uh, they reduced the limits from five to three fish each. And this team came in with a three fish limit that went 13.66 pounds. And they had a big fish of 801. So congratulations on that. And then also congratulations to Kyle Grover. We've had Kyle on before. He finished third in this week's Major League <laughs> Fishing at Clear Lake. He was in the lead for the first two days, but still an epic achievement, fishing third place. And with one event to go, Kyle is in first place for Angler of the Year. His next event is, will be at the Delta. His He is the most consistent, you know, out here. He's done this before. He knows the water. He knows the where he's going and how to get her done, you know, and, he, and to be able to be that consistent over and over again. And that's a gift. I mean, I, he's got a ton of talent and, and, and knowledge and, you know, his dad's no slouch either, by the way. No, no. <laughs> so, you know, that's a pretty cool deal where he can, he's been consistently in the top three or five. I mean, he's just all over the fish these years. So that's, Excellent, man. What a great job, Kyle. Great job, Kyle. Well, guys, we're going to take a break right now. Our next guest coming up, though, we have a professional crappie fisherman. Matt Rogers is going to be here. Let's find out what that's all about. But you're going to have to stay tuned and listen to these commercial messages. Hi, Roland Martin here. I'd like to tell you a little about Gary Yamamoto and the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait Company. It all started with an idea, then a dream, and in 1983, the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait Company was formed. If you know Gary Yamamoto like I do, and I've known him since 1983, you know he has a passionate love for the sport of fishing. That love is only matched by his obsession to design and produce the highest quality self-assed fishing lures on the market today. Every bait Gary makes is inspected by hand. Today, more than two and a half million packages of bait are shipped worldwide. On behalf of Gary and his staff, he wants to thank his customers for thinking so highly of his products and wishing you the great success at the sport of fishing. Whether you fish for fun or fish the tournament circuits like I do, you'll honor Gary for making Gary Yamamoto custom baits a key part of your fishing experience. Take it from me, Roland Martin. When I'm in need of a go-to bait, my first choice is a Gary Yamamoto custom bait. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one fishing, hunting, and shooting sports retailer, now has 28 locations. Turner's is your one-stop shop for fishing tackle, hunting gear, and everything for shooting sports. Turner's offers a full selection and unmatched prices on the gear you need. Whether you're planning a fishing trip with the family or chasing giant tuna, Turner's highly skilled staff will make sure you have the gear for your next adventure. Visit turners.com to find a Turner store near you and be sure to join the Turner's Discount Club to get weekly ads and specials right to your inbox. Turner's Outdoorsman, your one-stop shop 
for all your fishing needs. The perfect day is my family and I on the boat out on the waterway. I love it. Nothing but sun, snacks, fishing, and of course, life jackets for everyone. Save the ones you love. Life jackets save lives. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Since being established in 2015, CCA has achieved great success for the entire sport fishing industry in the fight for our right to fish here in California. 2021 brought us plenty of success, but every year brings new battles, and we need your help. One of the best ways to help support CCA Cal is to join us and become a member, because strength is certainly in our numbers. Become a member today by logging on to joincca.org. Membership starts at $35 per year, and that is one of the best ways to help us while you go fishing. Hi, this is Lori Heath. You may know me from some of the fishing boats out of San Diego. I want to talk to you about something that's really close to my heart. Did you know that when you donate blood, you're not only helping others, you're also helping yourself. Donating blood lowers the risk of heart attacks in men by more than 70%, lowers the risk of developing cancer, and helps you maintain a healthy liver. So donate blood to help someone else and to help yourself. If you can't donate, you can still make a difference with the financial gift. It's the best way to give back. Hook, line, and sinker. And for more information and to make a financial donation or an appointment, visit sandiegobloodbank.org. That's the sandiegobloodbank.org. And just to let you know, I'm also a blood donor. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Well, Stan Vandenberg, Wendy Toshihara, and myself, we want to welcome you back to Ron Real Radio. Well, you know... I think Stan and I can say that we probably grew up in the discipline of bass fishing and have been bass fishing for a little while. Wendy is an all-round species fisherman for sure, you know, and being bass fishermen here, especially out in Southern California, you kind of become snobbish and thinking, well, you know, there's no other type of fishing out there. When actually, when you travel around the United States, you're going to find there is a wealth of fishing out there and whether it be guys fishing for walleye if they're fishing for catfish they're fishing for redfish and there's also organizations that are supporting that well i happen to run across an individual that has another discipline of fishing that we all need to know about because you can do it out here on the west coast as easily as you can do it in missouri or louisiana and that's crappie fishermen but what sets this individual apart He's a professional crappie fisherman, and he's fishing crappie fishing professional tours. So let's welcome him to Ron Real Radio. Find out what it's all about. Mr. Matthew Rogers. Matt, welcome to Ron Real Radio. Howdy, John. Uh, glad to be here. We are glad to have you, sir. And, and Matthew, is my assumption kind of right? Where First of all, tell us where you come from and tell us, how you developed your love of fishing, and was it crappie first? Was it bass? Uh, was it brim? What was it? I'll tell you what. It was about anything that I'd bite in my grandpa's pond when I was little. Um, <laughs> I had a grandma that loved fishing, and uh, 
she uh, you know unfortunately passed away before I ever got to, got old enough to know her or anything and uh my uh, grandfather would take me down to his pond and he, we fed the catfish we stocked it all the time and he really incorporated me into the you know the the whole works of it not just the catching fish i mean from when i was little i just got to see everything from probably a di- little bit different angle than a lot of kids grow up you know getting taken to a pond once or twice and and uh you know maybe developing a little bit of a passion for it but i had something you know dwelling in my heart since then for fishing and my other grandfather actually it's his uh 85th birthday to, today here and we're over with my kids over here this afternoon playing around and and he used to always tell me whenever i was little if there was a storm coming a tornado was coming i'd stand there in my boots and stay out fishing he would take me out to a uh old rock quarry that had filled up with water and had you know about everything in it um you know but primarily bass but um that's what I started doing, you know. I mean, whenever I got a little bit older, probably eight, nine, I, I was kind of intrigued by bass. And uh, later on, just so happened, I ran into a guy that guided. I was 10 years old, and his name was Richard Bowling. He was a guide on Truman Lake here in Missouri. And um, there was a turkey calling contest, and I told the guy, if I win this turkey calling contest, you got to take me fishing. And uh I ended up winning it, and he held his word, and he took me fishing. And, you know, that that was a, a huge impact on on what I wanted to do when I got older. You know, of course, every kid wakes up and watches Bassmaster and dreams about it. But uh, somebody took that initiative and took that step to take me and um, show me a little bit about it. And, uh, you know, I had never been on a boat at that point that I could remember in my life. You know, a big boat on a lake, and, and that experience is surreal in my mind to do this to to this day I, I think about it a lot and uh you know that that kind of developed that passion for crappie fishing that um you know i was just a broke kid forever until i got a little bit of money in my pocket and uh you know started going a little more and trying to figure them out and uh you know i started from square one though when it comes to the lake fishing you know i got them taken out that one time and and i I remember it right. The guy took me three times, and, and the first time he took my brother and I, and, and this guy did it for a living, and, you know, he didn't want any money or anything for it. And I think taking those steps, you know, that initiative um, is something that I, I feel like, you know, as a professional fisherman, as professional fishermen as a group, a whole, you know, uh, we kind of owe it to to maybe pick out a kid that we think is is – really interested in it and uh, take them out and give them that opportunity, you know, because if I wouldn't have had that happen, uh, I, who knows where I'd be. I'd probably be laying hardwood floor still somewhere with some knee aches. Well, tell me, Matt, you know, developing into a uh, professional and I, I don't know, it, are we calling it right to call you a professional fisherman? Because do you have another job on the side still- or, I know you're following the uh, the circuit and you're traveling hundreds of not thousands of miles in the pursuit of prize money and crappie tournaments. So that certainly sounds like a professional to me. Yeah, I don't have any other job. I guide a little bit, very, very little. Um, uh, I, I primarily pick out when I do a trip, people that uh, want to learn something, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't usually just take out people that just want to, you know, go, catch 30 crappie to eat i try to take out people that want to learn 
and I do several, uh, a lot of electronics training mainly. Um, but I primarily just fish the tournaments for a living. Um, and I'm going to tell you, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of ramen noodles get ate, you know, I mean, it ain't <laughs> all glory, glorious and, you know, like I'm making a bunch of money, but I get to do something every day that I, I enjoy. It's, uh, there's days of course when it's raining and cold, uh, and it's pretty hard to go, you know, but, uh, in the end it's, it's so much better than going to a nine to five and, you know, there's a video of Edwin Evers and Rick Klun talking about uh, Rick Klun taking his big step into it and, you know, what his family thought. And it, it's a lot more accepted now to be a professional fisherman. It's not looked at as it's just, a you know, somebody's out there getting to go run around and do their hobby. I mean, it's a job, you know, and, and it's it's more accepting in society as a job because we've got high school fishing and collegiate fishing, which that's all bass. And, and um I would have probably, you know, if I had, if my dad would have been a bass fisherman and been a big lake fisherman, I probably would have had a little more grass with bass and, you know, probably would have had more equipment. That's the main thing that really detoured me from bass fishing was how much money it cost. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any money. So I, for a hundred dollars, you can get everything you need to go catch crappie. Well, you know, Stan's. Hold on, Stan. You know, we've seen a lot of pro anglers develop in our lifetime. Wendy, you have too, as being with Iserline. And Stan, did you know any other fishermen besides maybe Aaron Martins that didn't grow up on ramen noodles? I think Aaron grew up on alfalfa sprouts or something like that. You know, (laughs) that was when we first started you know i had a pickup truck and a shell and and a bass boat and i would go sleep in the back of the truck and i you know had a little coffee maker and a stove if i wanted to make something in the morning you know and you had an ice chest full of whatever you could do for lunch and you cooked your own dinner when you got back in but that was you know tournament fishing back then but i i mean i was i loved fishing for crappie when we had the crappie season you know and i would go to either pyramid i mean uh, pyru had big crappie in it and so did Kachuma. And as a kid, you know, with our, you know, little 14-foot aluminum 10-horse Johnson, you'd go troll around with a marabou jig and you'd catch crappie. You could, you know, you'd get in the right area and you'd throw something small and uh, a little crappie killers, they called them, you know, and you could catch a bunch of crappie. But it was only during the season that you had to find the right stuff, you know, to go fish. And then it was over. To, to become a crappie fisherman in a tournament series, I, I know one guy that fished a Western Bass tournament, Nick Guy Skinner, and he is a crappie, his thing is a crappie guy on his website, um, and he's in Vin, Vineyard, Texas, but he is a crappie fisherman, and he has a guide service there, but I can't imagine trying to figure out where to catch crappie if they're not up in the, in the crappie season is just when they're up spawning and running around the rest of the year, they just disappear. I don't know how you do that. I mean, you're, you're probably fishing out of a Lund or some style boat like that. I would imagine, or are you fishing out of a bass boat? How do you, what do you do and how do you find these things all year long? So I fish out of a, I've got a Phoenix. I've had several Phoenix boats. I've, I've had, you know, of course I started in a little aluminum boat. Um, it, and it none of that really matters it's it's mainly the electronics nowadays um you know but there's one thing there's a misconception with with 
the crappie and seasonal stuff, there's some lakes that they are just horrible at certain times of the year. You know, if you've got a really clear water lake, it can be really tough in the summer at certain times. Um, and I grew up on a lake that's shallow and muddy, and they, I mean, you can catch crappie in six foot of water almost all year long. Um, and, and, and for sure, you know, there's fish that aren't any deeper than six foot down at any given time throughout a year on that. On, and that's Truman Lake. And then I got a lake that's, uh, 30 minutes from the house, which is a little cleaner, but Stockton Lake. And, uh, they'll go in the winter 60, 70 feet down in that lake. Um, so I think it's, it, it can depend on the lake that you have, but for the most part, you know, the fish go up, they spawn in the spring, you know, going into out there in Cali, you guys are probably maybe hitting the spawn more in February than uh, we're hitting it. Yeah, we're, we're just now hitting it. Great. You know, uh, Matthew, uh, we're speaking with uh, uh, Matthew Rogers, and he's a professional crappie fisherman out of the Midwest. And, and Matthew, when you decided to make the big leap, I mean uh, – <laughs> You know, family's looking at you. You're looking around saying, is there a viable tournament series going where I can make a living traveling great distances to go after crappie and still do the things I like and maybe crappie fish on the side and do some promotional work for crappie manufacturers? I mean, that had to be a magnum leap uh, for you to, to decide to do that. Yeah, it was. Um, basically, what how I got started into it, and that was I was going to say, you know, there's a couple uh, people that played key roles in, in me becoming a professional fisherman. What and that was a guy named Jared Fosno and the Richard Bowling. Um, whenever I turned, I think I was 17 years old. Um, I got I finally got a boat, and I was scared to death to take it to Truman Lake. I mean, I didn't grow up on boats and stuff, and uh, I was scared to death. And he offered to let me fish with him in a, in a big fish challenge, you know, where they have a time slot and you go weigh a fish. And well, I ended up winning one of them, one of the, t- the first session. And, you know, I was like 900 bucks. Well, 900 bucks when I was 17 years old was like, you know, it's like 10 grand now to me, you know. I mean, that was a ton of money, and I, I knew I could fish on that. I'd have gas money for a long time and I actually ended up having some issues with uh health wise I had I have Lyme disease and so I was uh, in and out of the doctors and ended up having to kind of quit school for a little while to try to take care of my health and um so I just went fishing every day to be real honest with you for about you know a, a full summer and uh going every day from daylight to dark you know I just learned so much about those patterns that we were kind of starting to talk about a little bit you know these fish spawn they go out to the flats in the summer i learned how to find those fish in uh other parts of the year other than the spawn because i was a you know a bank fisherman at heart until i'd gotten that boat and i had to catch the crappie during the spawn um but then a uh the richard bowling had you know he had taken me so there was there was a lot more development with my you know a passion and I think that's another thing that is um kind of unnoticed what it takes like you have to really want it like it's not about the money by any means to go and do it it's I, I I'm not really the type of guy that I'm about to glory for it I just love the fish and I, I like to compete 
I, you know, I'm fishing for the trophy. Like I, I, I'm just now starting to do promoting because um, I really didn't care about that side of it. You know, I just wanted to win. But to do it as a job, you have to you have to balance it, and you've got to go and do the promoting part and be able to get paid by sponsors and uh, to be able to make an actual living at it, you know, because as it says right now, I mean, all I do is spend the money that's in my bank account because, I'm, you know, you, it's so hard to break even um, traveling and, and doing it, and especially with the fuel, you know, the fuel prices right now, it's probably harder for people to take that leap right now and, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure behind trying to do it the way I'm, you know, I'm doing it. And, and the payouts at one time for the crappie fishing were a guaranteed $27,000 ranger, the little uh, uh, RT-188. I believe they're 20, yeah, 27000 is what they were retailed at. So you guaranteed that, you know, six times a year, and then the championship was a 18-foot, uh, um, an 18-foot blast ranger. And, uh, you know, that was a really solid payout. Right now we're fishing, uh, I'm fishing a trail called Trappie Masters, and uh, it's a guaranteed $10,000. And, uh, you know, I won the one at Grenada, and, you know, the $10,000 when you've got a $40,000 truck and a $87,000 boat, you know, is, is really not a lot. So you've got to be willing to do it because your passion for it rather than, to go try to get rich or anything like that you know your purpose behind it i think is uh is more influential on on how well you you do and how you perform um matt i think you see that go ahead matt we got to take a break right now and uh i think uh, stan and i will tell you a little bit about passion with some of the fishermen (laughs) that we've known in the past stan and we're going to take a break but I don't believe any of the guys that we know that are on the top that don't have a fire in their gut for fishing all the time like uh, you don't see anywhere else. But we're going to get into that we'll after about that when we get back. To the yeah, break. we're talking uh, with Matt Rogers. He is a professional crappie fisherman out of the Midwest. I also want to talk about the uh, tournament that he had fished at Lake Granada because he had some great results on that. Fishing with a pretty special partner, too. So. Stay tuned. Stan Windy and Matt Rogers and I will be back after these messages. Hi, this is Jim Trelikas. Whether you're an avid angler or custom rod builder like me, you need to team up with the leading innovator in rod building related products, Batson Enterprises. From rain shadow rod blanks, engineered by anglers for anglers, to quality rod components supplied by Alps and Forecast, Batson Enterprises will enhance the quality of your fishing and rod building experience. Batson Enterprises for many years has excelled in incorporating rod building technologies and techniques into every product sold. Owner Bill Batson has assembled one of the finest group of in-house professionals to assist you with your every rod building question or need. So take it from me, Jim Trelikas, when my customer's expectation is for me to build them the finest fishing rod their money can buy, I turn to Batson Enterprises for the best rod components my money can buy. Hi, this is John, and I'd like to invite you to the new Angler's Arsenal location in Lakeside, California. We put together a staff of experts that'll help you find 
the tackle and gear you need at a price you can afford. We carry all major brands. And if you need custom work done, we can do that for you with both rods and reels. How about servicing your old equipment? No problem. We can do it quickly, easily, at a price you can afford. We also do custom hand-poured plastics through Western Plastics. Design the lure of your dreams and catch the fish that have been getting away. So come and visit us in Lakeside. We're at 12255 Woodside Avenue. Or you can visit us at anglersarsenal.com. If you need to call us, we're at 619-466-8355. See you there. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. There's nothing more peaceful than fishing. Just me, my pole, and some bait. Oh, and my life jacket, of course. I like fish, but I don't want to end up at the bottom of the water with them. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Are you looking for a quality fishing experience out of Cabo San Lucas for you, your family, and friends, but are a little set back with what charter company to choose? We urge you to use American and family-owned Lands and Charters. Lands and Charters offers their passengers affordable and all-inclusive services on a variety of vessels and trips. Fish with the latest of fishing gear while experiencing the hospitality of a long-time-owned family business. Go to LensAndCharters.com to see all of their vessels and amenities available. Call Cobble Greg or Jenny at 800-281-5778 when you're ready for an action-packed Cabo fishing experience. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419, or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Runreel Radio is brought to you by BajaBound.com Insurance Services. Are you driving to Mexico? You can buy and print out your Mexican auto insurance policy online in the convenience of your own home or office in minutes now with BajaBound.com's easy-to-use website. After printing your auto insurance, check out the BajaBound.com site. There, too, you will find great travel tips and information to help you get the most out of your next road trip south of the border. So this is an important fact to remember. Use BajaBound.com. It's the easiest way to find and get Mexican auto insurance. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top-angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. 
All Isoline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Isoline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their product. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Rod and Real Radio is now available as a podcast you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Get notified as soon as new episodes are available, or go back and listen to our past shows. Browse through all of our archive shows at roddenreelradio.com slash archives, and click the subscribe button to get started listening now. Dan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod and Reel Radio. Our special guest this hour is Matt Rogers. And Matt Rogers is a professional crappie fisherman out of the Midwest. And just before we took a break, uh, you know, Wendy, Stan, and I, we were talking about the the professional anglers that we've known in our lifetimes, whether it be the Dean Rojas's, the Ish Monroe's, the Gary Klein's, you name it. Each and every one of them, they have a particular pr- trait that they have a burning desire to go fishing, and whether they're 22 years old or now they're in their 50s or 60s. And Stan, I, I think the top echelon guys, they have that desire and it just doesn't leave them. You know, I mean, I know almost all of the guys that have fished in the West, uh, you know, that are on the pro circuit or major league fishing or FLW, it doesn't make any difference from Gary Klein. And like you're saying, you know, the guys that are out there, Skeet Reese and, and Aaron was a very close friend. And, uh, but you know, the guys that have been around for a long, Johnny Murray's no young guy, but you know, he's back there in Kentucky. Now he used to live out here, but there isn't one of them. And you mentioned, you know, uh, when you talk about the guys that started, you know, out here young and they're still fishing, they, it, it never leaves. I can't wait myself, and I'm an old guy, I can't wait to get to the next tournament just to be involved with a, and just see where you land. Whether you win, lose, or draw, hey, that's part of fishing. But to hear the fire that, that's in, in Matt's belly, I just smile because you never lose that if you're a competitive fisherman and you enjoyed the tournament circuits and and being involved with the thing and seeing if you can win a buck here and there um and then the representation of your sponsors becomes you know something you you kind of have to learn uh, over a period of time it doesn't come right away um and then you put the pressure on yourself a lot of the time when you're young and you're coming in i gotta win that's not so much it. You just have to be consistent and represent the products well that you that you uh, are involved with in boats and line and whatever else. Wendy's got a line company. She knows exactly, you know, what these guys need to do. Just talk about the product and don't be an idiot out there. Yeah, you know, well. you know, one of the things I like to tell people when they're looking for sponsors is make sure it's a, a product that you can represent that you believe in because it's your reputation on the line. And when you find a company that wants to sponsor you and you guys are in agreement, stick with them because yep. jumping around is, is not good. Yeah. Nope. Hey, hey guys, we've got a professional crappie fish around here and I know there are people out there going, Hey, we need some tips on catching crappie. So Matthew, if we can impose upon you, can you tell us a little bit about rods and reels and what are some of the more successful techniques that maybe you employ to be successful? Okay, so here in the Midwest, we're fishing, you know, primarily we're fishing 
dirtier water lakes. And uh, for most of the dirtier water lakes, we use long rods. And I'm, I'm talking, you know, upwards of 14, 15, 16-foot rods. Because with really? this live imaging, this forward-facing sonar we're using, you know, we're going out and single, like going after single individual fish swimming in open water, and we're trying to present that bait to them out over, you know, just like everybody talks about crappie have eyes on top of their head, they're always looking up. You know, you're trying to get that bait over the top of them and push it in front of them and hold it there for them to be able to come up and eat it. Um, there's some places where you cast to them, and you can, you do it individually with the the live imaging but um you know they still go to florida and i've gotten my teeth kicked in in florida the the one time i went down there um they still spider rig and uh pull pull uh jigs behind the boat you know uh, long line jigs behind the boat at you know let's say 0.5 to 1.5 mile an hour and cover water that way and there's there's still techniques like that that are um, necessary in certain places, um, but a lot of the fishing around me and where we usually hit with the tournaments is is primarily a long rod, and uh, I'd say that wins 90% of the tournaments. But um, as far as like right now, uh, you know, a super popular technique is since they're on the bank is just a cork, a cork and a jig a foot deep and and paralleling the banks and, and covering them that away and catching them when they're up there spawning. Um, what are you using for a, a bait? Ahead. What are you using for a lure on that, on those? It just depends, you know. I mean, I'm used, I use a lot of stuff that's called Euro Tackle on their little swim bait. And then, I mean, I, I use a lot of little Bobby Garland plastics. The uh, Baby Shad, I'd say the Stinger Shad, the Baby Shad is like probably the best all-around bait from the east to the west coast. You know, you can catch crappie on a two-inch baby shad from Bobby Garland anywhere in the country. Um, primarily with the crappie is changing the profile. You know, certain, some of the muddier water, you know, small, tiny little baits work. Um, a popular thing now is hair jigs. You know, they kind of, I heard them, um, one of you guys say something about a marabou jig earlier. And, uh, yeah. you know, that was a popular thing back in the 80s and 90s. And then I think, you know, the plastics kind of took over. And, and some of the flashy colors obviously have caught the fishermen, you know. And uh, now with the live imaging, we're going out and pressuring so many fish that the plastic is sometimes can spook them because it uh, – instead of absorbing water, it disperses the water and creates vibration. And, and there's times that uh, I think that plastics work better, but a lot of these fish anymore are pressured in those hair jigs. Something real natural absorbs the water. It's not, you know, doesn't send out a ton of vibrations, and you're putting it right on their nose. I think it's a little more subtle, and, a, you know, that would be that would be what I'd consider finesse fishing for crappie, you know. Well, you so know, a few techniques. Go ahead. I was going to say Bobby Garland was a good friend of mine, and he made a lot of different baits, but a lot of people don't know what what bait you're talking about or what it looks like. So why don't you explain what's a, what, what bait from Bobby Garland are you using? What does it look like? He's known for his tubes you know, and his, and his twin tail jigs, and, and that's what Bar mm -hmm. the, the, the Garland of, of yes, yesteryear made. I'm still fishing them too, but what are you talking about? What kind of a bait are you, are you fishing? 
it's a it's a little shad style bait. It's like a little minnow, basically. You know, it's got a single tail. It's not very wide. Um, it doesn't have a paddle tail on the end of it or anything. It's just a straight tailed bait, and it's just a, it just looks like a little minnow. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, they you know, and then they also like a lot of guys will uh, long line Bobby Garland's old hyper grubs and their strollers, which are like a curly tail, and uh, those just put off a, a vibration and action in the water and the fish can feel it and they can come and find it, you know, and there's times that just a, like a baby shad works whenever you're long lining as well. Um, but like, see my form of long lining back on, let's say Stockton Lake, it's a clear water lake and pre-spawn, they get a little temperamental. They're kind of hard to get to eat from a, um, being hungry, you know, from feeding They're you're relying on a reaction out of them and we would troll, Flicker shads, crankbaits, bandits, little things like that, stuff that runs 6 to 14 foot deep. And, uh, you know, those fish, just you just get a pure reaction out of them. So there's several techniques, things that work at different times of the year. But uh, primarily, like I said, across the country, a little Bobby Garland baby shad will catch crappie anywhere. Matt, we only have winter a time. Matt, uh, hey guys, we only have a couple of minutes left in this. And, Matt, I want to congratulate you because – you uh, uh, were brought to my attention on a, a tournament you had fished at uh, Lake Granada where you had a two-day limit of 44.71 in crappie. And I've I, I fished on tournament stay, and you have two windy. You've also, like on Lake Mead, where you haven't had a two-day limit like that on bass. So congratulations <laughs> on that limit. That that had to have been pretty pretty big achievement. Yeah, that was that's something pretty special to me, especially to do it with my dad. Um, you know, catching we had I think a three nineteen average, and holy uh, mackerel! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, you know that's that's huge crappie, and I actually had plans yeah, to go to Clear Lake because Clear Lake has giant black crappie in it. Um, yes, it did. But those were all you know white crappie. I'm sure there's a, I'm, I think there's a few hybrid crappie weighed in that were in the you know. 360, 370 range. But, um, you know, the big fish of that tournament was four and a quarter. Holy moly. Wow. Right. <laughs> Matt, our, our time has just about come to an end over here. But if people want to find out more about what you're doing, maybe ask you a question about crappie fishing that you can share and find out some about some of the sponsors and products that you use to make you a successful crappie fisherman, how's the best way to go about doing that? Well, if you want, you can follow me on um, Facebook, and it's uh, Matt Rogers. It's Matthew Rogers Angling, um, and I put a lot of stuff on there. I'm getting better about it, but I put a lot of stuff that's like I feel informational, stuff that really helps. And uh, feel free, anybody out there, to message me. You know, ask me anything you want. I'm I'm open book on it, and uh, I'll help people out however I can, especially to grow this the grow tournament crappie fishing you also said you're a guide and tell us what area do you guide out of and if people want to get a hold of you as a guide service how they go about doing it they can message me on on the uh facebook site and uh i primarily fish on truman lake and uh out of bucksaw marina is where usually where we launch and uh they have quite the accommodations they have rooms and rooms there the marina and uh it's a pretty nice facility, about the best one on the lake. 
and uh, you know Truman Lake is a destinational lake. It's uh, got you can catch some big crappie there, and you can catch a lot of fish there. All right, Matthew Rogers. Thanks for sharing some time with us on crappie fishing. Excited for you. Excited for the the tour, and and you know what? We're gonna just have to have you back because. We didn't even scratch the surface, I think, of some of the things we need to know about. No but kidding. <laughs> thanks a lot for being with us and giving up the time. And a happy birthday to your granddad. I'm, I'm happy that uh, you could spend some time with us, take it away from them. You go back and enjoy their time. And we look forward to speaking to you again, sir. Yes, sir. And I appreciate the opportunity very much. And, uh, you know, helping a young guy like me get out there and grow and uh, promote, and uh, I appreciate everything, and I look forward to coming on again. All right. Matthew Rogers, professional crappie angler. Hey, we're going to take a break right now, but coming up next, from Hub SeaWorld Research, Mike Shane is with us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Turner's Outdoorsman, California's number one fishing, hunting, and shooting sports retailer, now has 28 locations. Turner's is your one-stop shop for fishing tackle, hunting gear, and everything for shooting sports. Turner's offers a full selection and unmatched prices on the gear you need. Whether you're planning a fishing trip with the family or chasing giant tuna, Turner's highly skilled staff will make sure you have the gear for your next adventure. Visit turners.com to find a Turner store near you and be sure to join the Turner's Discount Club to get weekly ads and specials right to your inbox. Turner's Outdoorsman, your one-stop shop for all your fishing needs. Since being established in 2015, CCA has achieved great success for the entire sport fishing industry in the fight for our right to fish here in California. 2021 brought us plenty of success, but every year brings new battles, and we need your help. One of the best ways to help support CCA Cal is to join us and become a member, because strength is certainly in our numbers. Become a member today by logging on to joincca.org. Membership starts at $35 per year, and that is one of the best ways to help us while you go fishing. Hi, Roland Martin here. I'd like to tell you a little about Gary Yamamoto and the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait Company. It all started with an idea, then a dream, and in 1983, the Gary Yamamoto Custom Bait Company was formed. If you know Gary Yamamoto like I do, and I've known him since 1983, you know he has a passionate love for the sport of fishing. That love is only matched by his obsession to design and produce the highest quality self-plastic fishing lures on the market today. Every bait Gary makes is inspected by hand. Today, more than 2.5 million packages of bait are shipped worldwide. On behalf of Gary and his staff, he wants to thank his customers for thinking so highly of his products and wishing you the great success at the sport of fishing. Whether you fish for fun or fish the tournament circuits like I do, you'll honor Gary for making Gary Yamamoto custom baits a key part of your fishing experience. Take it from me, Roland Martin. When I'm in need of a go-to bait, my first choice is a Gary Yamamoto custom bait. Hey, bass fishermen. Who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT, for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the Bass Boat Program. It is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, 
your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262 or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for Bass Boat Insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. Hi, this is Lori Heath. You may know me from some of the sports boats out of San Diego. I want to talk to you about something that's really close to my heart, the San Diego Blood Bank. Fishing for a way to make a difference in your community? Consider donating blood or making a financial donation to the San Diego Blood Bank. Your gift will impact medical research, revolutionize how we improve health and treat disease, and most importantly, give the gift of life. But we can't do it without you or without your help. Visit sandiegobloodbank.org to make an appointment or to give a financial donation today. It's the best way to give back. And just to let you know, I'm also a blood donor. The warm weather is here and our lakes and rivers are brimming. Just remember, if you love California and you love to boat, please wear your life jacket. And make sure everyone with you puts one on, too. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Dave Vandenberg, Wendy Toshihara, and I, we want to welcome you back to the second hour of Ron Real Radio. Well, you know, this is definitely nothing less than a success story for sure. Over the years, we tried to document and follow what was happening with Hub Sea World Research and the restoration project that they had for white sea bass. And it always seemed like the results that were coming from their efforts, just just didn't make any sense, just didn't seem to, to add up. Now we find that there is maybe a little light at the end of that tunnel with some new research that has come out that has really shown us the effect that Hub SeaWorld and the restoration project has had on the white sea bass population. And to tell us more about that, guest that we've had on several times, always happy to talk about this project, is Mike Shane from Hub Sea World. Mike, welcome to the radio show, sir. Thank you, John. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I could hear you great. So can Wendy, so can Stan. So it's it's great to have you aboard, sir. Great. Thank you for having me and not giving us the opportunity to uh, update you with uh, research. Well, let's just talk a little bit about what got you to this point? You know, uh, tell us just real quickly a little bit about Hub Sea World and the White Sea Bass Restoration Project and how you go about releasing and the number of fish up to this point in time you think that you put in and added to the general population. Yeah. So Hub Sea World Research Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We were sta- started uh, by the founding fathers who were building SeaWorld in the early 60s. And they actually started our organization a year before they opened the park with the mission to return to the sea some measure of the benefits derived from it. So we're actually a year older than, than SeaWorld. 
and we, you know, specialize and, and focus our science in kind of five core areas, uh, animal behavior, ocean health, um, animal ecology or movements, uh, uh, sustainable seafoods, and education. So uh, those programs, you know, are, are, are dear to us and, and focus a lot of our ocean research on that over the almost 60 years now that we've been uh, in, in business. So the Sustainable Seafood Program is the one that I'm involved with and the one that I'm here to talk about today. And within that program is the White Sea Bass Enhancement Program. And that program got started in the early 1980s with legislation written by the state of California and created uh, in a stamp that when you fish in Southern California in the ocean, south of Port Arguello, then there's an ocean enhancement stamp. And that money then goes to the department and it's, it's made to help support uh, uh, and look at the potential of using aquaculture to enhance uh, fish species. And when, they, when this came about in the early 1980s, uh, they got together and decided, well, you know, white sea bass is going to be one of them. And they also did California halibut back then. So over this uh, 35 some odd years now, you know, we've been primarily focused on white sea bass. We've kind of gone back and forth a couple of times with halibut hopefully trying to get back to do California halibut. Um, they seem to be uh, a population, at least in Southern California, that's desperate need of, of some enhancement as work as well. So anyways, our program with the white sea bass in particular, um, we've released since 1986 was our first release. So we've been the sole contractors to the department to operate this program. And during this time period, we've released just over two and a half million fish into the ocean throughout Southern California. A large part of this program, how it operates, and which is unique to stock replenishment, not only in this country, but worldwide, is, is that it, it employs a, a large volunteer base. And most of these volunteers uh, that are up and down the coastline here in Southern California are, are fishermen themselves. So not only have they paid to fish through their ocean enhancement stamp, but they've also now uh, built these pens, again, with more money and are taking care of fish. So they, we provide fish to all these grow-out sites that, uh, from the hatchery after about four months in age, when we culture them at the hatchery, uh, we tag those fish with a coated wire tag. That is a small stainless steel piece of, of wire that goes into their cheek muscle of every fish that we uh, send out the door to these grow-out sites. Um, that piece of little piece of wire is, is a surgical grade stainless steel that uh, is looks like a piece of mechanical pencil. And anyways, it was uh, designed and created for the salmon industry and it's been used by numerous uh, organizations and people worldwide, you know, since, since that uh, design was originally again for, for salmon. So we've been tagging all fish since 1990 with all that prior to using uh, coder wire tags. We use tetracycline to help, uh, in their feed would, that would kind of lay down a mark or a fluorescent mark that you would have to see when you took some of their bones or their vertebra and you put it under a black light and fluoresce. Unfortunately, that didn't really tell you where the fish came from. It just identified it as a hatchery fish. So the coder wire tags, uh, again, is a technology that we've been using to uh, be, uh, you know, as part of our, to be uh, responsible for what we're doing out there. I mean, to answer questions with regard, regards to where fish are going, how they're surviving, and uh, how what the success of this program has been. So 
you know, over the years, we go out and we try to recover uh, our hatchery fish. One of my primary responsibilities has been to, uh, in the past, is to uh, go out there every day trying to recover our, our fish. And we deploy small mesh nets in the coastal waters and in abatements looking to try to recover our hatchery fish on a, on a shorter time scale so that we can assess, uh, you know, when these fish are released by their grow out sites, you know, can we, we can assess them quicker in the sense of, uh, you know, when they go out the door from the grow out sites are only eight to 10 inches. So it does take them a couple more years to reach the 28 inch size uh, before fishermen can keep them. So uh, we've, we've done uh, a lot of sampling uh, up and down the coastline of, of California with that method. And then we also go to the commercial and recreational fishermen and ask them for them, once they get a legal size fish, to cut the heads off and save us, uh, save the heads for us. And then we'll look, look for that tag in that head and, and try to uh, identify where that fish came from. And, and we also go to the commercial markets and scan fish that are landed by the commercial fishermen as well. And what we've seen from that is, is um, you know, we've gotten fish back 20 years later. Um, that have run around. We've caught this fish, you know, that from this hatchery program as far out as 100 miles offshore off the Cortez and Tanner Banks. We've also caught them up the coastline as far north as, as Monterey, Santa Cruz area. So we know that these fish can move around quite a bit. I mean, it's a big pond out there, the Pacific Ocean, and, and these fish uh, roam and go uh, up and down the coastline wherever they want to go. They're not uh, like a salmon, most people are familiar with, where they have to come back to the same stream and same area to spawn. So as a fishery scientist, if you want to assess a, a salmon a fishery, all you do is just wait at the stream and kind of sample fish as they come back to you, and you kind of can see who's tagged and who's not. Unfortunately, with sea bass, you kind of have to chase them around a little bit to uh, hopefully get some of your tagged fish back because they uh, tend to boogie up and down the coastline soon after they're let go from this program. So, again, scanning and going to these markets and, and doing the fishery side of thing, you know, we, we for years have seen, you know, about one in every three to 400 heads that we come across has a tag in it. And so, um, from that, you know, we're kind of, you know, we, we did a, a paper that we published back in 2010, so just over 10, 11 years ago now, that we modeled working with some experts in, in the field, um, modeled kind of our, our catches of, of our hatchery fish uh, before they reached uh, or what we call recruit into the fishery. So less than 28 inches because we've been sampling ourselves for all this time. And so we, again, we modeled that data looking at uh, when we release fish and what their expected survivorship is. And that study was really, you know, can, uh, hinged on the tag recaptures coming back. And we do get quite a bit of tag recaptures back from sublegally, um, you know, that we were able to use in that study. Unfortunately, not a lot have been coming back on the adult side, uh, just a couple hundred versus a couple thousand on the sublegal side. But again, those are fish that are only out there for a couple of years uh, and they need to continue to grow to obviously get into the fishery. So, you know, that modeling that we did in that paper that we published showed through the tag recaptures that, you know, and we've adapted the program based on that paper that in all seasons, fish released uh, from grow out pens versus those released directly from the hatchery have higher survivorship. So we, we're trying now to get all the fish into the grow out pens. And we also learned from that study that fish released in the winter months don't have as high a survivorship as the other seasons. So we, we subsequently 
again, to get more fish out there, hopefully more surviving and recruiting the fisheries are not releasing fish during the winter months, and those are December, January, and February. So the coat of wire tags do provide, you know, pertinent information, help us answer questions and know where fish come from. The challenge then and the study that we just did and we're here to talk about, or at least update you on this genetic study, so um, came out, and, or at least uh, in, in, uh, in draft form. We've been working with the folks in South Carolina now for since 2018. Uh, unfortunately, COVID kind of threw a little wrench into it and postponed the study, but we provided samples to them from all our broodstock that we've had in captivity at the hatchery since 1995. That's when the hatchery in Carlsbad was opened and we built that facility for the purpose of the White Sea Bass Enhancement Program. So we had fin clips from and from all our, our fish that we've had ever had in captivity. And so we sent those to the folks in South Carolina so they could what's called genotype, or at least identify the parents in, in our tanks. And then we, uh, again, we've caught thousands and thousands of sea bass over the years, and so we provided a data set where they randomly picked out uh, samples of otoliths. So we didn't have fin tissues, but we had otoliths. These are the bones in the heads that the fishermen like to keep, and they're important for us as scientists for various reasons. And here's another reason, which is, you know, genetics. They could actually, and they perfected the technique where they could take an ear bone and drop it in their magical sauce and pull out genetic uh, information off of the otoliths. Um, so anyway, so they took a, a random subsample. Of that subsample, of about, they were able to identify about 700 fish um, and get, get genetics off them. Sometimes the otoliths were a little too clean because we rinsed them off a little bit and, and they couldn't, after we pull them off the head of the fish, so they weren't able to get genetics off of them. But 700 of them they were, and, and that was a, uh, in that roughly 700 fish, that were from here, from, from kind of Newport south to the Mexican border here, um, of those fish, we knew that about 7% of those fish had coated wire tags in them. So, you know, they, and they definitely identified those 7% in the parents for those 7%, but what they found, and this is what was really significant, that there was a lot more than just 7% of those fish that, were, that came from the hatchery or had hatchery parents. Turns out it's about 46% of those wow. fish came from the hatchery yeah. and had hatchery parents. You so, guys must have, you guys must have been uh, dancing the jig when you heard that be, uh, in comparison to <laughs> some of the other uh, data that you had gotten in the past. Correct. I mean, you know, as a scientist, you know, it's great to, you know, come up, you know, you don't have a lot of these aha type of moments typically, but when they do happen, I mean, they're, they're uh, amazing and, and pretty cool. And they always lead to more questions, you know, obviously with the genetics and 46% of these fish, sub they were sub-adult fish, so they weren't legal size fish. They were fish that were, haven't quite recruited to the fishery yet, but of those 46%, what happened to their tags. I mean, we, we try to tag them. And so did those tags, you know, fall out? Did they migrate or move somewhere else by chance into the fish? Or have they lost their ability to be detected? That is their magnetism on, on the tag, because that's usually how they're detected by this special wand. So we've done tag retention studies a few years ago, long-term ones, trying to see, well, how long do these tags stay in? The fact that, we hey, we've got fish back that have been out there for 20 years, but, you know, 
if all the fish sold their tags for 20 years, but we did a long-term retention study in Newport Bay up for up to two years, and we had 100% retention of fish in those, 100% uh, retention of tags in those fish. So um, we're just trying to understand now, uh, again, with this aha moment that we have, what, what's going on. So now our next question is to try to understand, hey, this is great. We're going to continue to you know, get this work out the door, get it published, um, get it get it cleaned up. And then again, these are just preliminary. It's a graduate student in South Carolina that's finishing up, and she's doing some additional uh, genetic analysis of, 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 the, of all the data that we provided to them to understand uh, the, even the wild population genetics and, and maybe the, any uh, contribution or uh, genetics uh, that our fish are, are contributing to that. But, uh, you know, we're going to try to go out and try to answer the kind of the next questions and try to see if we can find within the adult population or the fishery, um, what do we see the same story out there? Do we see a high number of fish that have hatchery parents? And so we're going to be trying to answer that question this summer and uh, by collecting more heads from the fishermen, saving those heads, sending the genetic material to South Carolina and Hopefully, when they come back and say, okay, well, here's the number of fish that we found have hatchery parents based on genetics, and if we didn't scan and see a tag in there, then we'll, we'll still have the heads, and then we'll look at them under a, under, sorry, through x-rays and see if we can identify and see if the tag is still there. These tags actually stand out, even though they're such a small piece of metal. We've x-rayed uh, heads before with the tag in it, and you can clearly see the tag in the, and through the x-ray just it, it, has a nice return on it, so you can actually see it. So we'll we'll try to say, hey, can you can you, you know, and then if the tag's there, let's try to dissect it out and see if it's lost this magnetism or what's going on and why we couldn't detect it. And if it's not there, the X-rays will just say, hey, yeah, no, there wasn't a tag there, and so you didn't fail to not detect it. It's just the tag disappeared, and or you know, what, so what happened to it? Um, how did how did how did it lose it? And you know, I've talked Mike. to the manufacturer. Go ahead. How how is the best way? Because a lot of a lot of fishermen, a lot of people hearing this may not be aware of you collecting the heads of the white sea bass. And now we're driving home how important that the, you get this resource. How is the best way to get the heads of our catch to you, especially if I'm a private boater? Yeah. So the the best way again is. We'll say this word of mouth, and, and we try to just do this radio show and stickers that we have and things. Just to ask the fishermen to cut the heads off and, and deposit them in the freezers that are up and down the coastline at most of the sport fishing landings. And then we go over there and, and bring those heads back to San Diego where we can then look at them. We're going to try to focus and target. You know, there are some key landings, obviously, that catch a lot, the majority of the sea bass here in Southern California. So we're going to be trying to focus on some of those landings and, and get them reengaged again because, you know, years ago we had had uh, awards and money prizes for the fishermen to save the heads. And when I talk about the fishermen, these were on the, the sport fishing boats. So, you know, we gave away $4,000 a year, $2,000 uh, basically uh, uh, for the boat that collected the most number of heads for us. And then on the 2000 for the boats that turned in the most number of tags or got the most, most tagged fish. And so that seemed to stimulate, uh, again, a, a good response. And for some of these landings, when we were seeing 
over 50%, 75%, 90% of the fish that they were catching, they were saving their heads for. So it was a good incentive for them, uh, at least on the, on the sport boats, but for the recreational fishermen, you know, get them to continue saving, saving their heads. And, you know, we haven't figured out any, any way to sort of um, acknowledge, acknowledge them or, or recognize them. We do get in touch with them and, and say, Hey, if you get a tagged fish, we definitely are, are back in touch with them letting them know that we've got a tagged fish. This will be interesting. And it's going to be a kind of a, a sit and wait because we're going to have to obviously um, get the fish, get the material, genetic material, and then send all those back to South Carolina, have them look through them and, and, and then tell us, you know, what we, what we see. And, and then at that point, we'll have to, uh, you know, this will be months later getting back to the fishermen to say, Hey, guess what? We found a, a, a genetic mark. Your fish actually had a hatchery came from the hatchery. So. Oh, that's kind you of, know, I got no. a question on, yeah. on how far South can, do we have uh, uh, any fish caught? Do we know how far down south they've gone, and, and any record on that? I mean, we got Santa Barbara Islands down, but how far south have they gone? Yeah, so that's a good question. So we've scanned, I've scanned thousands and thousands of sea bass heads. I can't tell you how many from Mexico over the years, and most of these have come up to Chesapeake on you know tractor trailer truck trailers coming up, and uh, and uh, and never once have we detected a coat of wire tag. Well, I had saved some genetic tissue from uh, sea bass, and this was for other graduate students doing genetics work in, in the past. And so we had some 50 samples from Mexico, and those were caught down off Punta Abrejo, so that's south of Guerrero Negro. And, and so we sent South Carolina, I mentioned that, but we sent them 50, those 50 samples, and those were all adult fish from Mexico. And the big surprise was is they found of those fish, they were able to genotype about 43 of them, uh, get their genetics. But of those 43, they found out that 30% of those fish, 30% came from the hatchery. So they were hatchery wow. parents. No kidding. All the way uh, down sorry, to Aubrey Oaks? Right. Uh, yes, all the way down there. And so that's another eye opener. So 30% of just a small sample size is huge. And all the way down to Mexico where we've never, never, never got a tag fish back with a coated wire tag in it. Mike, we only have about three minutes left here. With the information that you've received on really the success of this project, what does that mean for the future? Does it mean that the project can grow? Does it mean that you'll be able to sustain what you're doing now and keep it going? What does the future lie in store for this yeah. project based on what we know now? Well, the future certainly looks uh, bright, so bright they got to wear shades. But uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, it, it reinvigorates the panel, the ORHAP committee, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and the science, newest science committee. That actually, the uh, one of the new committees actually meets this week, and some of these geneticists that were involved in the study are on the science panel. So there'll be discussion among them, helping to guide us. So, I mean, it's certainly, I mean. Oh, it's going to op it opens up a whole new game now with regards to what science, what research we're going to do, um, and so hopefully, you know, this this will change, and and you know, we we can keep going in the program, but maybe we need to. I mean, we definitely need funding. Has always been short short with this program. We've been receiving less and less funds really from the department to keep it going. So we've had to you know cut back on how many fish we release and what we can do, and so this will definitely be a game changer. I mean, hopefully we can get 
uh, some new funding because it's really been a challenge to keep staff and keep everyone supported and keep this program growing. So uh, we'll, we will see. I mean, in the coming months, it's going to be, with, as this comes out and we have more discussions, it, it's definitely going to change some things and, and open some people's eyes. And, again, like I say, I think it's reinvigorated, reinvigorates uh, us and, and everyone else that's involved with this program. Mike, where can we go to to get more information about what's happening with the program? And if there are people that are wanting to contribute to help support what you're doing, how's the best way to do it? So the best way to uh, go is go to our website for our organization, which is hswri.org. That's Hub Serial Research Institute hswri.org and then from there you can see all our programs that we do you can go to sustainable fisheries link that's under there and uh, see the see what's going on with the program and learn a little bit more about our program including you know locations drop off head locations uh, up and down the coastline there should be a list there um, that has all that information so we really appreciate fishermen hopefully you know we're going to try to get you know at least a thousand heads this summer which shouldn't be a, a a, a big challenge, uh, but that's kind of our, our goal. And we'll see. The Science Advisory Committee, I say, meets this week, and we'll see what they have to say. But please check out our website. You know, we'll try to keep it up, keep everyone updated um, through there, and, 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 and certainly by, by making these presentations, coming on your show and going to other clubs, we'll certainly conti- we'll continue to get the word out on the progress that we're making. Right. Mike, that's exciting information. Congratulations. You knew – you knew that they were out there. You were just wondering what the heck was happening with the data that just didn't prove it. And now it seems like you're being exonerated. And this is probably even more successful than you probably could imagine. I, I, I Congratulations on that. And we'll stay in contact with you. And, and hopefully down the road, we'll have, get more information to find out what's happening with this project. Yes, great, great. Thank you for the opportunity, John, and coming out there and, and uh, educate your listeners. Oh, educated us for Outstanding. Outstanding. Yeah. That's all i got to say. Mike Shane uh, from Hub SeaWorld Project on uh, the the, uh, the White Sea Bass Project. Man, that is such great news. Hey, listen, we're going to take a break right now, but close to Stan Vandenberg's heart, we are going to have a report from Crowley Lake and June Lake on how the opener went this weekend. So stay tuned because Adam Thomason is going to be with us to give us that news. So stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Hi, this is Jim Trelikas. Whether you're an avid angler or custom rod builder like me, you need to team up with the leading innovator in rod building related products, Batson Enterprises. From rain shadow rod blanks, engineered by anglers for anglers, to quality rod components supplied by Alps and Forecast, Batson Enterprises will enhance the quality of your fishing and rod building experience. Batson Enterprises for many years has excelled in incorporating rod building technologies and techniques into every product sold. Owner Bill Batson has assembled one of the finest group of in-house professionals to assist you with your every rod building question or need. So take it from me, Jim Trelikas, when my customer's expectation is for me to build them the finest fishing rod their money can buy. 
I turn to Batson Enterprises for the best rod components my money can buy. Hi, this is John, and I'd like to invite you to the new Angler's Arsenal location in Lakeside, California. We put together a staff of experts that'll help you find the tackle and gear you need at a price you can afford. We carry all the major brands. And if you need custom work done, we can do that for you with both rods and reels. How about servicing your old equipment? No problem. We can do it quickly, easily, at a price you can afford. We also do custom hand-poured plastics through Western Plastics. Design the lure of your dreams and catch the fish that have been getting away. So come and visit us in Lakeside. We're at 12255 Woodside Avenue. Or you can visit us at anglersarsenal.com. If you need to call us, we're at 619-466-8355. See you there. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth, moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. I can't wait to spend some quality time with my son fishing this year, teaching him about casting, how to choose bait, set the hook, and how to be safe on the water by always wearing a life jacket. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Are you looking for a quality fishing experience out of Cabo San Lucas for you, your family, and friends, but are a little set back with what charter company to choose? We urge you to use American and family-owned Lands and Charters. Lands and Charters offers their passengers affordable and all-inclusive services on a variety of vessels and trips. Fish with the latest of fishing gear while experiencing the hospitality of a long-time-owned family business. Go to LensAndCharters.com to see all of their vessels and amenities available. Call Cobble Greg or Jenny at 800-281-5778 when you're ready for an action-packed Cabo fishing experience. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fishing Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419, or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Rodenreel Radio is brought to you by BajaBound.com Insurance Services. Are you driving to Mexico? You can buy and print out your Mexican auto insurance policy online in the convenience of your own home or office in minutes now with BajaBound.com's easy-to-use website. After printing your auto insurance, check out the BajaBound.com site. There, too, you will find great travel tips and information to help you get the most out of your next road trip south of the border. So this is an important fact to remember. Use BajaBound.com. It's the easiest way to find and get Mexican auto insurance. 
Dan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Rod Real Radio. Well, what we have tried to do is we are trying to get a hold of Adam Tomlinson at uh, uh, June Lake. Uh, it's opening weekend for them, and I can only imagine, Stan, that they are busy right now. We uh, have left a message for Adam to give us a call, and hopefully before we go off the air, we're going to get a report from what happened uh, at June Lake in uh, Crowley. Well, you know, that's the that's the idea of this whole thing, because it it was kind of a barn burner out there, um, had a great weather uh, other than it was windy. From what I understand, all the guys that were up there fishing said it was windy. And 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 depending on where you were, like up in uh, the Bridgeport arena, they said they the wind blew pretty hard up there, although the fishing, you know, was pretty doggone good no matter what there. You know, you had. This is the fairest weather we've had for an opener in quite a while. So, you know, and the, they had uh, a lot of the lakes, they said, were, were ice-free. Uh, and so there was a lot of diversification of where you could go this year. And um, I talked to the guys up in Bridgeport, you know, Ken Sporting Goods, you get a hold of Rick. And he said they had quite a few people. Um, and it was going really, really well up there. Uh, the reservoir kicked out a 9.4 uh, rainbow up there. The lower twin, which is always really good. One of my favorite spots to fish is right outside the marina there. I've got my own little spot. Got big fish all the time there. But uh, they got an 11-pound brown that was caught and released there. Um, they, somebody got, they went up to, we had the guys from Bridgeport on last week, uh, with the, the, uh, plant that they put in and in, in Virginia, somebody got a seven, seven, four out of, out of, uh, upper Virginia, which that's a moose. So I, I know that there's, they had some really nice fishing in all of the lakes. And I'm sure that, you know, some of the people that were up there were, disappointed that they didn't get a big one but from what i understand there were a lot of fish caught and fishing was pretty good well you know stan uh i follow uh, uh bridgeport fish enhancement foundation and we had uh, one of the spokesmen from uh, uh bridgeport fish enhancement foundation on the show last sunday night they were talking about the fish they planted there and sure enough some of those fish came up, but we're not talking about small fish. The pictures of the tag fish that we saw that came in from the foundation plant were anywhere from four to nine pounds. And evidence is that of a lot of smiling faces in front of Ken Sporting's Good with pictures of these fish. And, and not only that, it, you, know, you go up there and if you get one of these tag fish, you get the opportunity to fish in a really grand tournament. So uh, right now, it sounds like it's it's pretty good up there. And, you know, it is. Uh, Adam just tried to call me, by the way. Um, I, I just saw that on my phone. Uh, so maybe we can get a hold of Adam here if we if we get a shot um, and try that again. But uh, the, the fishing up there, you know, you've got upper twin, lower twin, and the reservoir at Bridgeport. You know, you've got Virginia Lakes right there, too. Green Lakes were... I'll be frozen, but um, the availability of areas to fish and the water level was, was pretty good. So uh, 
I can only imagine, you know, if if you get a chance to go up there and and, and every boat that I know <laughs> was rented. <laughs> so the fishing had to be pretty pretty fun. Oh, so All now right. we have good. You want to go yes, ahead? Stan, why don't you introduce real quickly our guest, but don't take too long because we need a report. I know we do. And from from Crowley Lake Fish Camp and June Lake proper, we've got Adam Thomason on. And Adam, how is the opener for you guys? Well, uh, hello from Crowley Lake Fish Camp here. Um, and uh, I can't say I, I I don't recall us having such nice weather in uh, the past few years. Um, so the opener was a total success. All right. And you how we had wall to wall fishermen. Oh yeah. We had a lot of happy folks out there. That's for sure. Um, the first day, uh, well, yesterday, I guess opener um, was uh, fishing was great. Um, you know, over in McGee um, seemed to be, you know, one of the obvious hot spots, along with the, even over here by Hilton and over on the south end of the lake. Uh, the fishing was really good. Um, and uh, like I said, the weather was phenomenal. Today, we, the wind picked up on us, but at least we got uh, one really just phenomenal day and that people just got to enjoy. So. so were they catching them off the bank and in the boats? And what kind of fish were we you looking know, the at shore fishing wise. was excellent in fact uh we had some really good reports coming just from shore um you know also from the boats you know obviously as well uh, the fish aren't not they're not that deep um the trollers seem to be four or five colors down um so they're not fishing incredibly deep and i was hearing some even just top surface stuff was hitting really well um uh you know and then the the guys uh you know, soaking worms and, and power bait. Um, they were only fishing about 15 feet down or so. Um, wow. So, um, yeah, all in all, though, the fishing was incredible. Uh, like I said, today was a bit windy, so it was hard to gauge, you know, when you're when you're fighting the wind and everything else. So I saw plenty of big fish come in today as well. But, uh, you know, today people – or uh, yesterday people got a good chance to see what was going on out there so what what kind of fishing was happening there how big a fish and what was kind of the average that you saw for crowd uh, a lot of big cutthroats yeah trout absolutely um lots of big cutthroats um a lot of a uh, lot of fish in the three to five pound range were caught that i saw wow. um so there was lots of big fish lots of big stringers um you know it was uh I, I didn't see uh, much of anything small. In fact, most everything I saw was, was good size. We're talking a you know, couple pound average here. Excellent. Wow. How about uh, June Lake? Uh, do you have a report on what happened up in that area, Adam? I do. Um, so same thing as far as depth goes, the fish, they didn't seem to be very deep there. Um, you know, a lot of times at June Lake, you know, you get into that summer heat and those fish are you know 40 feet down you know nine ten colors out not the case right now um we're looking at three to five colors um tasmanian devils seem to be working really well um anything with like kind of that brighter rainbow pink orange type color um was what i was getting the best report on um but the the, the fishing up there was really good 
Um, what do you hear for the, the he loop for fish big caught fish. up to you know, six pounds uh, come out yesterday and today. So, wow. Tell us uh, what's the limit on up there, and because the fishing's good, guys can have their limit by uh, uh, you know you know early in the morning, and then are are they allowed to go after other species or what normally happens in that case, Adam? Well, you, I mean, you're right in the fact that yeah, there's there was people on opening day that are done fishing, you know, by eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and as far as trout goes, um, you know, it's a five day limit uh, as far as that goes. But then, you know, once you get into those other species, yeah, you're you can get up into you know twenty five fish. Uh, as far as like the the perch would be your really only other option at crawley per se. Um, and so you can get 25 of those, um, and that's, that's, you know, beyond your limit, um, of, of the five trout. And then, you know, at June Lake, it's just trout is, is what's up there. Um, so you got your five a day limit, 10 in possession now, there, uh, can, at June Lake. Can fishermen catch a trout and if they decide they don't want to keep it, maybe they want to try to go after a larger fish. Can they release that? And and go fish again, or are they? Uh, uh, do they have to keep like we have here in Southern California? Do they have to keep the the first uh, limit of uh, fish they catch? Oh no, catch and release is uh, always an option here. I mean, it, right. it's a quite a popular option. In fact, um, you know, half of the people that are out there fishing are catch and release fishermen, whether it be trollers, fly fishermen. Um, you know, typically when you're bait fishing, you know, with the inflated night crawlers, power bait, you're you are looking to keep those fish because um, typically they swallow it, and there really is no, you know, safe release in that regard. But you know, the other half of the fishermen, as far as the the trollers, the fly fishermen, are a lot of them are strictly catch and release, and uh, you know, it's not uncommon that people go out there, you know, especially on Crawley Lake, and you know, I mean, I, as far as numbers go, well, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, 30, 40, 50, whatever fish a day. You know, wow. that's the fly fishing thing up there is huge. I mean, there's there's probably 20 guides that, that run out every day up there or could run every day, and, and they're all catch and release. And was were, were the fly fishermen out on this on the opener here, and did they do okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the fly guides and the fly fishermen, they were all out. Everybody was out. Um, it was, uh, it was quite busy. Um, you know, it was probably one of the busier openers I can recall. And I sure that has to do a bit with the weather. Um, like I said, but, uh, everybody was out, everyone was fishing all types of fishermen. Um, and, uh, yeah, those guys, they can, so you can i've gone out there and just roped them before where you know you can't shake them off with a stick um now i don't know if it was that hot right now uh, but there's times a year where absolutely it is i mean and, and we're talking we're talking big fish and stan you know you've seen what comes out of here so yeah. um what well, you know it can be you can get the right time like any other you know fishing where when the time's hot you just you know you just uh can't beat it i don't well, you tell know us our, about... our, oh I was going to say our our tournament we have is coming up in June here, but you know we don't even keep one unless it's over to weigh unless it's over two and a half pounds. But there's you know and and 
that's a that's a large trout, by the way. <laughs> you know, when you get up there, Crowley, they they've got them in there. I can't imagine where the the trollers did. Do you know if the trollers did any better with you know the smaller baits or larger baits? And you know, if somebody's coming up there, what they might want to bring? Yeah. So right now, um, the uh, like the the needlefish, Thomas Boyance. I, I heard a lot of people doing the slow troll with that. Um, uh, and then, uh, actually the Tasmanian devils, I mentioned that up at June Lake, but the same thing actually at Crawley, uh, right now I saw a lot of people with like the bloody rippers, pinks, oranges. It was fairly similar to what I saw them catching on at, uh, June. In fact, um, I didn't see a lot of the, the Rapalas and stuff. I, I, I didn't see a lot of guys, um, Using that stuff, so I don't know if that was working well, but um, yeah, that's you know basically uh, what I like to use is you know like your your slow trolling stuff, like your uh, needlefish and uh, Thomas Boyance is always that's they've always done me really well here. So, well, you know the one thing about it too, the fish are if the fish were shallow, let's say from twenty five feet up, it sounds like that's where the the majority of the fish were they're cruising. We haven't got the weed line yet. Um, the water is not warm yet. So, you know, and they did have a spawn a little bit. So the fish will be up kind of cruising, looking for something to eat. So, you know, I think, you know, all in all, you're, it, the it looks like right now until we start getting a little warmer water and the fish start to move down just below the weed lines when the weed starts to grow. And the guys depend on, was the bug, I mean, did they have uh, midge flies? Um, I can only imagine with the warmer weather, the midge flies were, were starting to go pretty good, and the fly fishing guys have to be in fairly shallow water. Yeah, and, you you know, I think you kind of hit a good point there, too, is, you know, when those weeds grow and they get they get tall, you can be in 20, you know, they can be in 20 feet of water, and which is basically unfishable. But th- that's where the fish, you know, there's still fish there and that's where they're still hanging out, but you just can't really get to them. And, um, so I think that can happen a lot where you just have to fish those weed lines and it may so happen to be 20, 25 feet deep. Um, not to say the fish aren't in those weeds, but you just can't get to them. And a lot of times what happens is when you get those major bug hatches, the fishing out actually slow down, um, because the fish are full right. and, um, and it can go both ways. Um, but that does often happen, you know, when you get Adam, those major hatches, they just, Adam, you know, you're, just, Adam, you're with you're, uh, you're Crowley Lake. One in a billion. Adam, you're with Crowley Lake fish camp. And also you run uh, June Lake uh, Marina. Uh, tell us people want to find out how the, what the availability is for Crowley Lake or June Lake Marina, the amenities that you offer. How's the best way to go about doing that? Well, I think online is the best way. If you go to uh, uh has everything that you need to know as far as, uh, you know, you can do online reservations. You can see pictures of the boats, the cabins, the RV sites. Um, you know, just shows everything that we offer for pictures and prices and online reservations as far as that goes. And uh, same thing with June Lake. We have junelakemarina.com. Um you know, it has all of our information, um, everything that you need to plan your next vacation up here in the eastern Sierra and uh, make us a part of it. 
Wow. Now, we know that you had a crush for opening day. That's acceptable. How about a week, two weeks, three weeks after opening day? Are you are the booking still heavy? And what do you suggest people do that want to come on up and and see you? Let's say, uh, do you have available uh, availability before Memorial Day? Oh, absolutely. We do. Um, You know, Crawley Lake, when we start here from opening day, we just, we start strong and that's our busiest time of the season. Um, You know, from, from now until uh, through the summer, through August and definitely recommend making reservations. If you know you're coming up, uh, certainly plan ahead. Um, You know, we have over a hundred boat rentals here at at the fish camp. And um, so we have, Plenty different types of boats and styles of boats to choose from. So we typically have something, you know, obviously for everybody. But uh, once you get into like the pontoon boats and our, you know, our bigger uh, deep V haul with the fish finder and the bigger, you know, motors and stuff like that, you know, you you definitely want to reserve that uh, well ahead of uh, in advance and also pretty much anything on the weekends. Um, All right. Any like I said, if you know that you're coming, go ahead and reserve in advance. Um, you know, and then and then same at June Lake. Once we get once we get past opener, June Lake can slow down a little bit. I'm definitely suggesting making reservations for like pontoon boats and stuff. But once we hit Memorial Day through Labor Day, we pretty much sell every boat every single day, and you have to make a reservation there. And there's a lot of people that are surprised by that, but we're at least a couple weeks out on reservations up there through the entire summer. All right, so, Adam. As soon as you know go. you're coming up, make that reservation so um, so you're not, you know, left behind there. So. All right, sir. Hey, thanks a lot for the great report. We look forward to seeing you. We got to go for now, okay? So you just have a very successful season, okay? You bet. Have a great day. Hey, guys, that's thanks, it for Adam. tonight. Hey, Stan, that's it for tonight. We have just a couple of seconds left. So... On behalf of Auto and the AM540 Studios, Ben Harvey, our local producer, and always in memory of Big Tuna Bill, Eddie McCune. Thanks a lot, Stan. Thanks a lot, Wendy. We'll see you live next Sunday night on AM540 for another edition of Rod and Real Radio. So until then, go out there and get them. Someone's getting rich. Good night, everybody.